0: Lauren Jackson, our superstar. Christy Harrow, what a fantastic tournament. Holly Grimer almost in tears. Jennifer Screen, look at the bench, Steve. I mean, that is well-deserved. They should be celebrating. It's history for the Opals. It's the first time they've won a gold medal. What a fantastic job.
1: And listen to that crowd. You can see the Australian bench. They are up. They're going to run the fastest 15 metres of their lives when this final whistle goes. And Marie? air has shot the lights out but it's
0: not going to be enough A triple crown for the Diamonds Australia wins. I couldn't think of any uh, two individuals who um, I would want to, to be part of this, um, two great leaders, two great coaches in the Australian high performance system, Jan Sterling and Lisa Alexander, who have both taken um, their respective teams to the very heights of um, number one in, in, in the world. And both extreme, extraordinarily busy people, um, and I can't thank them enough for making the time to be with us today. And also a special thank you, uh, he's back for a repeat performance from ABC Grandstand, Tim Gable, Um, and Tim himself is always giving, to so come along and uh, and help us out with these Q&As. Would you also thank Tim Gable for being here? <laughs>
2: Thank you very much, Tim. Yes, a great honour and pleasure to be back here today. And I guess uh, the genesis of these talks is the perception from some national sporting organisations during Rio that Australia succumbed to pressure. And I guess, to a certain degree, uh, there is a certain amount of self-analysis going on here uh, to determine exactly what went on and whether or not pressure played a part. And it is a great pleasure to have uh, both Jan and Lisa here today. Firstly to you, Jan. Uh, With basketball and with the overall performance of Australians at the Olympic Games in Rio, did you think that the pressure got to Australian athletes and Australian teams?
0: Well, it's hard for uh, another individual to make comment on that in terms of you don't know their mindset. But um, I think uh, Rio. everyone knew Rio was going to be a challenge in terms of the environment. So I'm sure all teams did their due diligence with preparation Look, I have a different view when we all talk about, oh, you know, how did they handle the pressure? I think reality is for successful teams is they have expectation. Um, So for me, there's a fine line difference between pressure and expectation. Um, And I think most teams that went over there realise that, uh, you know, there was some expectation on them, and then it's a matter of uh, how that's managed individually and then collectively as a group. One of the things I think elite sport hasn't done enough of, and that's uh, mental preparation... It's amazing, having been involved in AFL, the fact that they can put so much time into the physical preparation, yet the mindset is sort of like the last piece of the puzzle. I think it's getting better, but certainly to create an environment where athletes uh, do have that capacity to fall back on positive thoughts as opposed to negativity in those sort of situations when expectation is sort of consuming them.
2: So do you think that uh, at times there are two voices there, one uh, a negative voice and one a a positive voice? Uh, We've heard that a lot in sport and the ability to overcome the negative to focus on the positive?
0: Oh, definitely, and that's a skill. It's, uh, you know, being able to trigger your mind to flick onto positive uh, affirmations as opposed to a negative thought. That's a skill in itself, and I think more time needs to be put into that, especially when athletes are a little bit younger, so they develop that. It's very easy to lose confidence in sport. It happens very quickly. We see it all the time.
2: Lisa, obviously netball, not part of the Olympic Games, but looking on Rio, how did you view the Australian performance?
1: Oh, as a keen observer and fan, obviously the Australian team, I'm barracking for them and wanting them to do well and I guess my interest area is swimming, um, that's probably my favourite sport that I've always watched for many years and obviously it was disappointing that the results didn't come through um, in terms of the expectations that everyone had. Uh, but I agree with Jan. I think we probably sometimes don 't spend enough time in the actual coaching environment. That is, my belief as the head coach of the program that i 'm in charge of, the diamonds is i 'm responsible for the psychological performance of the team at the end of the day, and so taking that really seriously means you have to prepare for it as well alongside the physical preparation the skill preparation and all those areas that are so important because you can you can come undone by simply a negative thought impacting on somebody's performance at some stage and if you haven't practiced all the resilient strategies and the ways of overcoming that then you haven't left every stone unturned in your Um, pursuit of the best performance that you can possibly put there at the time. And you have to practice that. And practicing under pressure is extremely important.
2: Is there more to it than simply getting to know the athlete and what makes them tick, do you think?
1: Um, I think it's a lot of that. I think the relationship between the coach and the athlete is extremely important and knowing each other well uh, because it's a partnership. And the athletes believing that the coach is a part of that performance is important too that you you know you're performing on the day as well particularly in the team sports as a as a head coach I have to perform on game day which means I have to perform my role as the head coach match day so really my psychological my own individual performance needs to be adhered to and what was going to make me make the right decisions at the right times and the athletes have to feel that Uh, I guess, strength from that preparation that you as an individual undertake as a coach, but also that you are encouraging that response from your athletes as well, and then collectively as a group to implement the game plan as well.
2: Now, you both uh, came from a playing background into a coaching um, background. I just wanted to find out from you, Jan, you were the first from memory to be an Australian basketball player who then went on to become coach of an Australian team in women's basketball, uh, just, I guess, your experience as a player coming in to coaching, uh, do you take much of what you learnt as a player uh, in, into the coaching game?
0: Oh, look, you certainly do, but um, I, I suppose I came through an era where if you were playing senior basketball, then you had to coach a junior team. Now, I just happened to crack a senior women's team in the South Australian Seaball League, if you want to call it that, and when I was 13. So I had to then go back at 13 and learn how to coach the (laughs) under-10s. So um, I I sort of came through with a a coaching background, I suppose. But I think you do. You uh, uh, The main thing I think you learn as a coach when you've been a player is probably how to prepare better and what not to do. Um, So you you draw on that and make sure that you can perhaps uh, support your athletes, not make the same mistakes that you perhaps made as an athlete. Um, so I think that's a, a challenge in transitioning that across to your coaching.
2: So, w- was there anything a coach said to you that has lived with you through your coaching career?
0: Well, again, in my era as a player, if a coach, if my coach, coached me now, he'd be in jail because <laughs> it was very, the things you got called and the. The abuse that you did, I was just, I I had a permanent name of knucklehead and I was a point guard, I was supposed to be smart, so uh, (laughs) it was, uh, but what you do learn is that uh, I learnt one thing from uh, that particular coach, who coached me in an Australian team as well, and he said, Jan, the day I stop pushing you as an athlete is the day I've lost interest, so that sort of rested with me, I think the way we push and challenge athletes now is a lot different to what I came through with.
2: So do you have to be a little more sensitive now, do you think?
0: Oh, invariably so. Invariably so. And as much as you can say to athlete, this is not personal, this is about the actions you choose to do or choose not to do is what we're evaluating, Um, sometimes it can still be quite hurtful to that athlete as an individual.
2: Is there a coach outside your sport that you thought, well, I'd like to emulate some of the things, some of the attributes that they have?
0: Oh, look, I've had some wonderful mentors over time. I mean, David Parkin remains a good friend of mine and, and, uh, and, and I loved his passion for the game. I'm not sure <laughs> what he always said was right. But, um, but also, um, you know, I've had some uh, other coaches. I mean, uh, I had the liaison of John Eels during my two Olympic campaigns and, and uh, he's now coaching his daughters. So I learnt from him. Uh, quite a bit. But there's been so many wonderful coaches that I've been involved with and and learned from that You know, we're a sponge. Coaches have to be a sponge and it's a continual learning environment and as long as you take that approach in everything you do in life, I think you're in pretty good shape.
2: Do you have to be paranoid as a coach, do you think? Always looking, wondering what's happening behind you?
0: God, I hope. No, I wouldn't think so. Paranoid, that's a bit of a strong word. Um, I think you have to be inquisitive and curious. Uh, I think all coaches should cross-fertilise I mean, I spent just as much time watching soccer pro- training programs and, and you know, squash, for heaven's sake, because squash is in a, a stance that we use all the time. So I think, I think the idea of cross-fertilising and watching how other coach get the best out of their athletes is probably a really uh, an important learning curve for all of us.
2: What about you, Lisa? You came from a, a netball background into, into coaching. Do you think you were ready to be a coach as a player? You you learned a lot as a player to become a coach?
1: Yeah, I was fortunate, I guess, to be thrown into the coaching field pretty young as well. Um, Again, the expectation was if you played with your club that you had to coach the juniors, so that's what I did. Um, And also training to be a teacher. Coaching and teaching went alongside each other, so as a a teacher at training, I was also playing elite sport at the same time. So being able to investigate both sides of it was actually really good for me. And um, then I became a playing coach, which meant I had to um, lead on the on the field, on the court, so to speak, and I learnt a lot from that. Um, I also learnt a lot from my time in the Australian squad where I didn't quite make it. And one of the reasons was um, in the psychology area, actually. Um, my confidence levels were not to the level that they should have been for an elite athlete to make that next step up to the very highest level. And so I guess I sought to ensure that all the junior state teams that I coached on my way up, the uh, coaching ladder for netball was that I would bring psychology into all of the sessions that I had or expose the athletes to um, that individual psychological preparation for a tournament and um, that's been a part of what I've done all the way through. So I guess um, I learnt a lot as a player um, and then the coaching alongside the playing helped each other grow and uh, I think I became a better player because I was coaching as well.
2: Now, you have uh, looked outside the square. You obviously consulted uh, Brendan Bolton, I think, from Carlton, Eddie Jones from Rugby Union. You've gone right across the world to seek different influences. And one of the things that you've taken away from that, as I understand it, is you've tried to get the athletes out of their comfort zone. And you did that in the lead-up to the Constellation Cup in October by really testing the players, and that's something that Brendan Bolton does at Carlton.
1: Yeah, we've um, we thought it was really important for us um, being world number one and winning trophies. And as soon as you take your eye off the ball, something happens. Um, interestingly, we've just lost our recent quad series against New Zealand in the final, so it causes a huge examination of of what you do. And in fact, today sitting down with my performance analyst, who's just up there in the in the crowd, um, you know that's part of our examination and. What we were trying to challenge the group with was the fact that we shouldn't have to have a loss to give us a kick up the backside. And in fact, that's what's actually happened. Um, sometimes you know, just even the suggestion of that can uh, influence athletes to behave in that way. So when we're examining things, we're not just doing them for the sake of it. We're trying to really influence the environment and our system that we have so that it's a positive influence at the end of the day. And one of the things that we have learned is the fact that we need to become more frustrated at training in order for us to be performing at our best when it matters under pressure. And I guess this recent quad series has actually served that purpose for us and it enabled us to have the language to talk about it at our very next training session that I took with the Melbourne-based Diamonds at least. Uh, We've also had a change in personnel so that everyone understands that, you know, performances are expected at that highest level and that, you know, if, if you are not accountable for your performances, it might be that you are omitted from a team, which is what's just happened as well. So we've got to be really consistent with our actions that follow and that we follow up and we ensure that our athletes are learning about being comfortable with being uncomfortable because at the end of the day, that's what's going to get us that um, performance under pressure when it
0: matters.
2: Jan, are you a firm believer of, in getting athletes out of their comfort zone to really shake them up at training?
0: Oh, yeah. I think there's... Uh, you know, we all use the words often, you know, got to hold each other accountable to a higher level and, and so I think you, you do have to challenge them and, and challenging each individual in different ways and getting them certainly... Uh, uh, if you can make sure that challenge is something that uh, they then debrief and consolidate the learnings from that challenge, I think that's when the, you can then continue to raise the bar. So it's one thing to challenge them. It's, then to, it's, it's all right for coaches to say, oh, well, I think we learned this, but you actually have to find out from your athletes what did they learn and how are they then going to put that to better use next time. Um, so I think as coaches we continually want to raise the bar and and, and challenge our athletes to do that Um, but it's always good to then find out what they actually learn, we can't assume what they learn from a particular contest or a particular circumstance we've presented to them, we have to define what they do learn and get them to articulate it to reaffirm that they're uh, certainly tracking on the right way
2: Yes I know we talk about pressure a lot but athletes put a lot of pressure on themselves don't they you you look at somebody like Lauren Jackson you know I guess the the job for you is to make sure that they don't put too much pressure on themselves.
0: Oh, Lauren just wants to have fun. Yeah, <laughs> she just wants to have fun. She loves playing the game. <laughs> she's a, a white line fever specialist. There's no doubt about that. Wasn't necessarily the, uh, the hardest trainer, and she would admit that herself, probably because she's permanently injured, mm. because she doesn't do a rehab. It's sort of like a domino effect. But uh, when it came to white line fever, you can get anyone stronger than Lauren. Mm.
2: And you've made a hard decision too with Maddie Robinson, so you've obviously um, sought to shake up the group a little bit in that way.
0: Yeah, I
1: think the other thing that we found in this recent series was our, we've got a new leadership group too, and um, I'm, you know, when you were talking about Lauren Jackson there, I was just thinking about what um, Caitlin Bassett went through as her first series as the as the captain, and we're used to her performances being very um, solid and and world class. Um, perhaps she wasn't quite there as much, and what we did afterwards was. Um, we actually asked the leaders to do an evaluation of their performances and what they learnt from it and what they would like to work on. And then what we did is did that in front of the whole group as well so that they could see that the leaders had really examined their performance closely and were seeking feedback about how to improve that too from our group because um, our game's a little bit different to the domestic game at the moment. Internationally we can't have timeouts. Um, In the domestic game they can have timeouts so we can actually stop and talk to the players. So what we've got to do now is in in this next series is really address that and the leaders are taking that on board by trying to make sure that they're leading the way in terms of the examination of their own performance and what they are seeking to do to improve and that's modelling the right sort of actions that we want to see from the rest of the group.
2: Just to sum it up, um, and talking about athletes and uh, performance under pressure, Jan, is there something that you'd like to, to finalise this with, uh, you know, and how you dress it, just to keep things as normal as possible and to have a really good support network, whether it be family, coaching? I mean, you, you as a coach need your support as well.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think it gets back to, you know, things that I've already touched on, and that is to make sure that they're very comfortable with knowing that there's a lot of support around around them, um, making sure they can have those touch points with their family and friends uh, and certainly just reaffirming there's a very good reason why they're in the mm-hmm. team uh, and that is that they're very capable and uh, that certainly representing their nation is a, a time that they won't get again uh, in terms of uh, making sure that they understand that you know, their inner confidence is, is what's going to get them over the line and uh, we can reaffirm that all we like and and, and they need to work with each other and have you know, the buddy system to help them so that, again, if I'm showing anxiety, my buddy next to me is going to say, hey, you're OK, um, because the mental side of the game is absolutely vital uh, and making sure... All you worry about as a coach is whether they're going to mentally cope. I don't Usually the skill factors doesn't worry me too much, but if they're tuned in mentally, then you know you're in really, really good shape and... And whatever you can do as coaches to make sure they're calm and they're ready to play, um, that's the challenge that you all face.
2: Lisa?
1: Yeah, I agree with Jan. I think it's all about positive um, affirmations of what the athletes can do. I'm very much into that before a game. Um, I usually speak to the athletes an hour and a half before the match and announce a team and things like that. But our movie that Mitch helps me put together and he mainly puts it together with some great music is all about positive reinforcement of how well they've done and what they can do um, because at the end of the day, you need their strengths out there. We need them humming together. Um, and as, I guess, the conductor of the orchestra, which I try and create that atmosphere for them of success and, and that they're ready and they're prepared, then I've done my job and then I've got to make sure I make the right decisions at the right time in a match. And so I need to be prepared as a coach for that as well.
2: well thank you very much, Lisa and Jenna. Thank you.